Hi everyone and welcome to the September 2023 Men's Link Midweeker, proudly supported by Lenox Volkswagen and featuring Chris Dutton. Men's Link Midweekers are all about discussing the issues facing young guys in our community and each midweeker brings together people from all corners of the community, business owners, sports people, politicians, community leaders and the community to share stories and how they've been supported throughout their life. Every midweeker features a well-known Canberran talking about their life's journey and the challenges they have overcome to get where they are today. Our midweekers are a great way to hear inspiring stories from Canberran leaders, learn a bit about Men's Link and our great work, and meet old and new friends in a friendly setting. Hi, Ben Gathercole, Men's Link CEO. Men's Link has been supporting young men in Canberra region for over 20 years through our free counselling, volunteer mentoring, and education programs. In that time, we've helped thousands of young guys get through tough times or lonely times with the least amount of pain or harm to themselves or to those around them. We help young guys reach their full potential and become the great adult men that we want to be because we believe everything is possible. If you're a young guy who's looking for some support or you know someone who needs some support or you're a school, head to menslink.org.au to find out more and we hope to see you at Midweeker soon. Remember, if you need help after hours, get in contact with Lifeline 131114 or visit lifeline.org.au. In this Midweeker, held in September 2023, we heard from Chris Dutton. Chris has been a journalist for the past 15 years after graduating from the University of Canberra with a sports media degree. And during his career, he has covered a wide variety of sports and competitions and is now the sports editor at the Canberra Times. He's covered the Olympic Games as part of a team of journalists from the Canberra Times, the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, as well as Rugby Union, Cricket, Rugby League and Soccer World Cups and the NRL, AFL, WNBL, A-League and W-League competitions. Recently, he spent 12 months as the news director at the Canberra Times before moving back into the sports section. Amongst all those stories over the past 15 years, Chris has heard from many local, national and international sporting stars. And while he gets to share their successes, he also gets to share their challenges that they've endured and how they overcome those challenges during their career and also in retirement. In this midweeker, Chris started out by talking about how someone once asked him why he always said, it's just Chris Dutton from the Canberra Times when he rang up to talk. Here's Chris. Early on in my years in journalism, I used to make phone calls and, and yeah, tend to make a lot of phone calls a day um, to try and find out information, to try and chat to people about what's going on. And I used to start the phone call with, um, hi, it's just Chris Dutton from the Canberra Times. And that was just something that naturally I, I must have said it for every phone call for six months until someone said to me, um, why do you say you're just Chris Dutton from the Canberra Times? And I was like, I'd never even thought about it. It was just something I'd said. And he said to me, um, you shouldn't just say you're just Chris Dutton. You're Chris Dutton. And it really gave me um, a lot of self-worth and, um, you know, pumped up my tires a little bit that they were going to answer my phone and I didn't have to. Because, you know, when, you, when you're calling people in my job, you feel like you're taking time out of people's days. You, you might be calling them on a weekend. You might be calling them at night time or while they're working in their nine to five jobs. So... It gave me a lot of confidence and, and I thought to myself after chatting to Ben, well, yeah, I might as well come along and chat about a, a few different things here tonight. Um, probably wanted to touch on a, a few different themes throughout uh, my personal journey, my personal experiences, as Ben was saying, being part of, or 
sort of being on the outside of a football team but being so close to it that you're, you're part of it but you're not really part of it. Um, talk about some of my perceptions of, of those, you know, sport is my domain really. And um, I guess some things I've observed over the years, um, it's 16 years, not quite 20, so I'm, I've still got a, a little bit of juice left in me yet. And then um, I'm not sure how many people are interested in sport here, but I guess just finish up with how I see uh, sport potentially playing a role in you know, developing strong young men um, going through, as it has done for many years. But yeah, as Ben said, I'm, uh, I'm from Wagga originally, came over to the University of Canberra, studied sports media and lived on campus there and was lucky enough to get a job um, at the Canberra Times as my first job out of out of uni, which was really good. Um, actually went to uni with Ben Alexander, which um, you know was really interesting for me to watch his journey. I'm not sure how many of you were here last time when he spoke, but you know I'd, I'd shared many a night at um, Mooseheads and the uni bar with Benny A, and then to be in a professional environment where he's on one side of the microphone and I'm on the other one asking the questions was uh, was really interesting to see. Um, I've had a variety of roles at the Canberra Times over that time. I sort of started out doing some local sports um, and then evolved into uh, covering the Brumbies mainly. Uh, so I covered the Raiders first. That was my first real big job. Um, and then I moved into covering the Brumbies since about uh, 2011, I think it was 2010-11. Um, been to Olympic Games and um, World Cups, uh, which were some strange experiences in themselves, which I'll get to a little bit later. Um, and then most recently, I, uh, I moved out of the sports department into the news department at the paper. Um, as the chief of staff, they asked me to come over and help them out. And then now I've moved back into the, the sports department, which um, is a welcome relief from politics and business life. I'll tell you what, sports um, a sanctuary, really. Um, but yeah, so I just thought I'd, I'd talk about some of my experiences first and um, some of the... the um, ben mentioned some tough times that you go through and, you know, I, I can look back and I can reconcile a lot of things now, but some things stick out to me along my journey that I, I went along to and I'll never forget, um, it was round three, 2011, Super Rugby season, Brumbies v Crusaders in Christchurch. Sticks in my mind, like I'll, I'll never forget that week. Um, the Brumbies had sacked their coach and um, this was before Ben had come on board, but there was a similar mission from the media advisor at the time to sort of break down a few barriers because, um, as you guys probably think, um, you know, there's a certain perception of journalists and how we go about things and getting stories. And one of the things that the Brumbies had never done was invite journalists into the change rooms. It was sort of like an inner sanctum, like a boardroom that this is our place. You're not allowed to come into it. Um, players, staff, coaches only. That's it. No one else. And I'll never forget after this game, the Brumbies had been beaten. I think it was something like 51 to 10. And they picked that night in Christchurch to be the first night for me to be invited into the change rooms. And the looks I got from some particular senior players who had been around for a long time um, was a really uncomfortable unwelcoming feeling like I I wasn't looking at them but I could feel them looking at me and they didn't want me to be a part of it they did they didn't want me to be in there they felt that I had 
um, breached the walls basically and I, I shouldn't be in there. And it's a really interesting feeling to have because I was friends with Ben Alexander, as I said, who was in that team. I, I've been friends with many of uh, those guys covering them through local sport before they'd been playing Super Rugby. And to have that feeling that you don't belong somewhere was really tough for me to sort of come to grips with because um, I was there to do my job. You know, um, the, the paper had paid good money to send me over to New Zealand to cover a game of rugby. And here I was feeling like I didn't belong, like I, I, didn't, um, I didn't fit in. And um, while I am a frustrated athlete in uh, this body, I, I knew I was never going to be pulling on the boots to play super rugby at that level. But I felt like I would get at least a little bit of respect in, in being in that position. And one thing that I, um, it, it really made me question whether I wanted to do it. Um, and I was lucky enough that I was friends with the media manager at the time because I'd been to university with him as well. And I was, so I could have a chat with him about it and we could um, discuss whether it was right to go forward with it if it was going to be as unwelcoming as it was or whether we should keep trying to break down that barrier. Um, we decided to push on and the daggers continued and over the years, sometimes we've been let in, sometimes we've been blocked out. But it w it's, it's, it's hard to sort of describe how you feel when you're doing your job and people don't want you around. And um, I understand uh, maybe it wasn't the best night to do it after a, a massive defeat. And I think they'd sacked their coach, Andy Friend, um, the week before that. So it, it was very interesting. But it, I think um, it might have been a few years later. I think it was... Ben, were you in South Africa with me when, um, sim so these are the golden days of uh, the newspaper industry where, where there was a lot more money than there is these days, but I actually got to go to places like New Zealand and South Africa and travel with the team and, and follow them. And it's, it's an, when you're in South Africa, um, it's, it's a different place to New Zealand in particular and Australia because... It's, it's not as safe to go out by yourself. So Ben and Sam Rolfe and a few other guys were really welcoming and, you know, made sure that uh, there was one time I was going to walk back from a training ground and Jake White pulled over the bus and said, no, 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 you're not walking back. That's not um, a safe thing to do. So he, he actually allowed me to go onto the team bus, which was another one of those moments of breaking down that barrier of um, us versus them really is, is what it was created as. It's like it's very hierarchical. So the older players are down the back. They've got their seats and it goes forward and forward and forward. And it's sort of um, from that old school sporting mentality of you've got to earn your stripes to sit up the back with the big boys. So uh, you can imagine the silence that falls on the bus when um, it, it slows down and opens the doors to pick up me, someone who's never played a game, never likely to play a game. And it's, it really is that strange place to be, isn't it? It's like, as Ben said, it's next level in terms of um, feeling like you don't belong there because I remember sitting down the front, sort of head down, hoping people didn't see me, people thinking that I wasn't listening to their conversations to pick up stories because one thing that I've done as, um, over my career as a journalist is I've always tried to be um, honest, open, and accurate are my three pillars that I work off. So I tried to build trust with people rather than 
you know, sneaking around, which is that perception of um, a lot of people have of journalists. So it's not something that I'm interested in or keen on. Um, but even though I knew that I was never going to do that, just the, the thought of someone thinking that I was listening to their conversation was really off-putting for me. Um, and so that's where it's really valuable to have people like Ben and Elliot and Sam Rolfe on, on tours who you can chat to about how you're feeling, um, about which players are potentially treating you uh, or, or not treating you well. Um, there's, a, you know, the team room is another one, which is a sacred place in, in terms of sport. And I once walked into there, I was invited by the team manager, um, Tony Thorpe, who invited me into the team room and then uh, no one else was in there. So I felt okay, okay going in. And while I was in there, another senior player walked in and he looked at me and said, he said, what the fuck are you doing in here? And I was like, Jesus, like your team manager just invited me in here. But I'll tell you what, I was out of there pretty quickly. Um, it's, it's can be a little bit of a scary place. And um, yeah, I've, I've talked about feeling like you don't belong. And when you're, dealing with athletes in particular who are wired as i'm sure ben would have spoken about last time they're wired to be competitive they're wired to be the best and they're wired to protect their teammates so that's what they do so when an outsider comes into it and you breach that wall they think that you're there to tear them down that you're there to grab their secrets to expose something and granted, there are some people who, who do do that, um, but it's it's a really off-putting feeling. And um, I had to speak to a couple of former rugby writers about that feeling that, because maybe I had blurred the lines myself in terms of, okay, where does the journalist-athlete um, line sit and am I stepping over them? Am I going potentially a little bit too far? Next, Chris went on to speak about how he deals with the anxiety of asking tough questions as part of his job in those difficult and often highly charged and emotional environments around team sports. I feel like I wear a different mask when I'm at work um, and that's sort of been done out of necessity to try to protect myself in those situations because it, is, it does get quite tense and it does become very personal um, when someone does attack you for simply doing your job um it it i feel like i had to put up a bit of a wall there and i had to try to separate my home life from my work life and my home persona from my work persona and i find that the times where i blur the line between those two is when i'm struggling the most because i can't see those distinct things i, I really struggle to separate what is work and what is my life and that is probably because i'm also a sports fan not just i don't just write about sport i enjoy it and i write about it because i enjoy it and so it, it made me really anxious when i was unable to separate the two and it took me a long time to build up to that as a journalist chris sometimes has to write about things that people might not like to hear like the losses or why a team might be struggling as such it can be tough to keep turning up to work and do the job again particularly if people aren't happy about what he's saying so there needs to be resilience i remember in the early days of um social media that i was actually um effectively cyber bullied by a few players on um twitter and that was such a weird feeling because i like 
I'd really I'd only joined up to Twitter maybe a couple of weeks beforehand and um they weren't going so well themselves and I'd written something and yeah, they, they started to cyber bully me and I, I I couldn't quite comprehend that. So it it's a it's a really weird feeling. What what happened after I wrote that story? They were um, really annoyed at a four letter word that I've written feud. They they were really annoyed at that and the whole team, so thirty five players wanted my blood because I'd written that word. And um, I was actually on a day off and I took a couple phone calls um, of people abusing me and then I, I didn't go to the press conference at training but um, apparently when our journalists got there they were asking where I was, why I wasn't there and you know, they, they, were, they were ready to go me basically if I, so it was probably a good thing I didn't turn up but um, it, it, uh, I feel it, it has built a resilience in me over the years as well to be able to separate uh, when something's personal, a personal attack on me, when it's a, an attack on what I'm trying to do as a journalist, like I feel they're two very different avenues and I'm able to sort of say to myself, well, are they coming at me because they, they don't like who I am or what I'm about or do they, are they coming at me because they're protective of their turf, uh, which is most often the case that they're protective of their turf and um, their players and their friendships and those sorts of things. I've probably questioned it um, uh, more so over the past five years about uh, do I want to keep doing this? Because as a sports lover and a sports fan, I love watching sport and I hate when my enjoyment of that is tempered by... um, fearing some abuse you're going to cop over a story you write. So um, it, it's an interesting question because my resilience has been built from years of doing it and and as a necessity to be able to do it and know that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm not, I, I don't, uh, so muckraking, I don't, I don't muckrake. I know, like, I will always be open and honest with people I'm writing about what I'm going to write, whether it's good or bad. And I think that has built my resilience, Ben, in terms of being able to um, reconcile in myself that I'm happy with who I am and what I'm doing. And I find that that is when I'm the best as a journalist because I feel comfortable asking those tough questions that are very uncomfortable. Um, and, and you know, you're constantly wargaming in your mind if I say, you know, I'm sure many people will have seen uh, Ricky Stewart press conferences in this room where, you know, they're feisty, they're angry, like there's a lot of emotion running through that. Um, through that, that's, I'll tell you what, it's a small room and it feels even smaller when, when Ricky's going at you. Um, but it's part of the game. I've, I've come to realise it's part of the game for me. Like I, I enjoy that back and forth and I know that I can hold my head high and if I'm... I, I've always, uh, one thing that has helped me build that, Ben, is I've acknowledged that whenever I do make a mistake, I will own it. So if I've written something that uh, is incorrect or inaccurate or potentially stepped over the line, then I will own that and speak to that person. I'll never dodge a phone call. Like, I'm upfront with that. And I think that's built the resilience in me to be able to go back and keep doing it. Um, and, you know, there, there are times where you... 
the the age of social media and I guess the uh, chosen profession that I went went down is that there aren't a lot of people that pat you on the back, right? So it, as an athlete, you know, you get a pat on the back if you win, maybe get a kick up the bum if you lose. But you know, you you roll on to the next week. If if I write a story that someone disagrees with, then I tell you what, I'll I'll definitely hear about it. Um, via email, via social media, via whatever, they'll, they'll come after me. But you never hear about the good things, which can be something that gets you really down because you might write a story that you're really proud of and I'll think, geez, I've done an absolute cracking job on this. And then crickets. <laughs> crickets. No one says anything when there's a good story. As soon as there's a slightly negative story or a story that's perceived to be negative, you can guarantee my phone will buzz at 6 a.m. with um, a chairman or a chief executive or a player or a coach um, extremely unhappy with, with what's been written. And I think that I've, I've had to build resilience out of a necessity to be able to what I, do what I do and try to draw a line between when I switch on and when I switch off. The speed in getting a story out there is an important element of journalism, but Chris found that his own obsession with speed was leading to some unhealthy habits in terms of being online too much. As such, Chris has had to work hard on switching off a bit more because he's realised that being first with the story is not where his self-worth is. I tried to uh, not look at my phone. I've got a little two-year-old boy who, uh, lucky for me, is sports mad and um, has already started playing golf as my retirement fund. Um, so hoping he keeps going with that, but that, that's definitely helped me, um, change the way that I deal with things in terms of, I, I used to be so consumed by it. I used to be on Twitter until 11 PM at night. It'd be the first thing I'd check in the morning emails to make sure that I haven't missed anything. And especially these days with a 24 hour news cycle, you like the, the fear as a journalist is if you switch off, you're going to miss something. You're going to miss that story. And while accuracy is number one, speed and getting a story up straight away is not far behind it. And in, in some news organisations, it overtakes it. So I, I've sort of had to um, learn to not, not care as much as if I miss something. And that's really hard to say because, um, you know, as a journalist, that's what you, you're judged on really, um, is having the story and not missing anything. And it can be really hard and all-consuming, but I, that, that's probably been the hardest thing for me to do, Ben, is find a way to switch off, find a way to put the phone down and just not be caught up in it all. And I know um, Benny A, when he did his chat last week and I caught up with him earlier this year and... Um, he can talk underwater. I remember he, I caught up with him at a cafe and I, I didn't get a word in for about 40 minutes, I think, when he unloaded. But um, that that was part of his problem as well. He felt consumed by it. He felt by the decisions that he made around his family and his businesses and you know, the apps he was trying to design were that he, he, had, he had failed. And failure is something that I've had to come to terms with in terms of... Um, being okay with it and that's what I mean about not getting a story because I, I always want to be 
the person with the story and um, many of you in this room might know Tim Gable as well who's a friend of ours and um, now retired from ABC but I used to love the battle with him like I used to love trying to get Tim to read out my stories on ABC on a on on the morning that used to be like how I used to judge whether I'd done a good job if if I'd forced Tim to try and read out something conversely he would try to break some news to get me to write about it and um I've, I've had to sort of reconcile in my own mind that that's, that's not sort of where my self-worth is. Our midweekers are proudly supported by Lennox Volkswagen. For more than 50 years, the friendly staff at Lennox Volkswagen have been selling and servicing new and used vehicles in Canberra and the surrounding region. Throughout those 50 years, Lennox Volkswagen has been and continues to be a great supporter of the Canberra community, and that includes Men's Link. Whether you need a new SUV, passenger, camper or commercial vehicle, support those who support us. Visit lennockvolkswagen.com.au or head into the showroom at 150 Melrose Drive, Phillip and let them know that Men's Link sent you. Press conferences can be tough places and Chris spoke about how it can be a very difficult place to do your job, especially when the rooms that they're held in are often quite small and he needs to ask some tough questions. A press conference room will basically be out here. That's it. Yeah, that could be it. And like... um. You know, you're looking for any sort of thing on the wall that you can focus on rather than eye-to-eye contact sometimes. Um, but, like, you can, you, can, you can really feel the emotion here. And, and I get it because that is an athlete and a coach's livelihood. They are judged on whether they win or lose. So I understand that um, they, ne- they don't necessarily want to be in there or they might not respect the questions that... Uh, I want to ask. I've always thought that my job is to ask a question that a fan wants to know the answer to. So that that's how I. It's not it's not about me. It's about what what are the Brumbies or the Raiders fans going to go home or go to the pub about, and what are they talking about? Are they talking about that big tackle or that drop ball over the line or the referee decision? Those are the things I'm trying to ask to expand on those to give a fan a better understanding. And, um, yeah, it's it can be a really uncomfortable place to be if you're not prepared for it. There's been a few press conference situations where I perhaps haven't been prepared for it. I um, The first one I remember was actually Stephanie Rice, who I'm um, an Australian Olympic swimmer out of the AIS, and I was only a young journo then, and... She had a few injuries and um, I asked her as, as a follow-up question to someone and there were cameras everywhere. It was just before the 2008 Olympics and I asked her how her body was and she took that as like, what do, like are you asking me as a man and a woman, like how's your body? No, I was asking how the injuries were, but oh man, I went bright red and started sweating and I, I like there was no hole that was big enough for me to get into after that. Um, Tony Ray one time forward Brumbies coach went on a um, he he teed off after a game big time uh, like that was one of the best press conferences I've been in because it wasn't adversarial in terms of the journalist and the coach uh, he wanted to tee off and I was giving him the avenue to tee off um, until another journalist in, in the room didn't quite get what was going on and asked a, a question that took us off topic 
Ricky is an interesting one because, you know, he's so passionate about what happens with the Raiders that he, he can't contain his, he can't contain that passion. Like when he's angry about a loss, he's angry about a loss. And I think, um, he's probably taught me the most in press conferences, Ben, is that, um, it's, it's not about him versus me, or he's not attacking me, even though it seems like that. And you can take it very personally. He's simply like exuding, exuding frustration. It's oozing out of him. So I've learned to sort of adjust to that. Um, and you know, then it's always easy after a win. Like whenever they win, it's, it's the best thing ever. Everyone's happy and having a joke in there. It's after the losses that, that they're pretty fired up. And I've, I've seen it from different angles as well. So I was at the 2012 Olympics and, um, some of you may or may not know Caroline Buchanan, who's a, a BMX rider cyclist. And, um, I'd done plenty of stories on her in the lead up to it. And, um, so at an Olympic games, there's this thing called the mix zone and an athlete will finish their race or event and they'll come through the mix zone. And generally, you know, they come to uh, familiar face or, um, the Australian media for the Australian athletes and Caroline came through. She was the world number one. She just won a couple of world championships and she bombed out in the final. And actually she didn't even make the final. She bombed out in the heats and she came through the mix zone and she saw me and she just burst into tears. And that was probably the first time I realized that the privileged position that I'm in because I'm writing about someone's highs and their lows, but to them it's their life. And she just looked at me and she gave, like, I was pinned up against the fence from all the other journalists behind us because there was a lot of other Australian media there because she was one of our best metal hopes. And she just gave me a hug. She couldn't talk. And that sort of made me realise that um, it's it's not about me. It's not about, it's, it's about their journey and, and sort of I'm a conduit to, for them to tell their story and be able to convey that. And it was a really special moment for me because it, like it hit me in the feels as well. Um, like she'd spent her, you know, the past 10 years trying to get to that moment and she, she'd failed and, and she knew she'd failed in her eyes. That's how she saw it. Even though she was among the best 20 BMX riders in the world, she felt like she'd failed and like I, I, I started crying with her. I'm not afraid to say that. I, like I couldn't contain my emotions, but that was the other side of it because sometimes you get the, the angry press conferences where it is, you know, you versus the coach or you versus the, the captain who, um, you know, wants your blood. That was a side where you, you built trust with someone and they've just seen their dream shattered before their eyes. And like, it was pretty heartbreaking. So it's, I feel like I've, I really get a privileged seat to that because as you were saying before, I got to share Ben's story um, and people dealing with that anxiety and listening to them, how they go through their low moments and build up to their high moments has probably helped me build my resilience as well because I've, se I've seen people do it. I've talked to people about it. And sometimes in my life, it makes me go, well, hold on, like I've talked about this a million times. Like, why can't I put that into practice? Which is probably the hardest thing to do, but something that, uh, you know, I'm always trying to learn. Chris, then face some quick fire questions. The first one being the best athlete he'd ever interviewed. 
I actually got to interview um, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and Kevin Durant at the Olympics, and um, Carmelo Anthony, and that was pretty cool. Cool for a different reason, because um, those guys are so well-versed in terms of uh, doing media. They do it after every sort of game, and they were just so open and not happy to see you necessarily, but they answered the question. I was like, well, wow, here are guys earning 20-odd million dollars a year, and they're willing to chat to me. Um, so on that scale, those guys. On others, I'd probably say Benny Alexander and um, and Paddy McCabe, who I think, I'm not sure if he's Paddy, like guys who you build up a relationship with and they trust you. They trust you to do your job and to paint them in the right light. The next was someone who didn't want to be interviewed? Well, look, Wayne Bennett, right? I, you know, for the rugby league fans in here, Wayne Bennett gives off that persona that he doesn't want to be interviewed and... I had a press conference with him at Canberra Stadium one time and he didn't want to he didn't want to be there he didn't want to talk and I was like oh geez this guy's like hard to deal with then I interviewed him one on one a couple of years later and the whole day in the lead up to the interview I was like oh my god this is I've got to have every question written down I've got to have a whole heap of things to throw at him this is going to be difficult and he was the nicest guy ever it was like um yeah quite bizarre but so Wayne Bennett in a press conference situation I would say was one of the hardest and the third quickfire question was, who is his dream interview? Um, I have been um, trying to interview Michael Jordan for a little while, basically since I started. Because I, I figure the biggest thing that I think is, if you don't ask, you don't know. So like if I don't ask the question, as in even a simple question of, hey, I'm from the Canberra Times, would you like to have a chat about such and such, such and such? Um, then I'm never going to know whether they do or they don't want to. What's the worst that can happen that they say no? We're talking about resilience. That's probably something that I've built up over the years is I used to be nervous about asking for an interview with someone rather than giving them, feeling like I was giving them an opportunity. And the worst thing that could happen is they say no. Like, so Michael Jordan is one that I'd still like to get a Canberra Times exclusive on that one. Um, yeah, I don't know, maybe talk about resurrecting the Canberra Cannons or something. Um, I'd go for that. But the other uh, good one I'll say is Paddy, I know I've said a lot of basketball people, but Paddy Mills, who's a Canberra guy, um, a lot of time for him. Uh, um, I was I almost fell off my chair one day when he um, called up out of the blue and said he wanted to do his NBA re-signing contract news with us. And I was like, wow, this is, this is a guy making millions of dollars in America. And, um, you know, he went to Marist College here and um, I sort of followed him along his journey. And for him to do that, I was like, wow, that's like, that's a really cool thing. Chris then fielded some questions from the floor. And the first one was twofold. First, is it okay for a male journalist to cover female sports and do the best job possible? And then also, how does Australia capitalise on the Matildas effect? Essentially, getting equal coverage for women's sport, losing the W from the titles and making it all mainstream? First one in terms of male covering women's sport, I say 100% yes. Um, it is okay, it should be okay, and there should be more that write about it. So I covered the Canberra Capitals um, sort of in the before the 2010s and still cover them now and have a really good relationship with them and Carrie Graff and... Um, I actually 
it's not, I grew up in a family of two other brothers and around sport all the time because my dad was a coach and I never really followed women's sport until I worked at the Canberra Times and it opened up my eyes to a whole new world really and um, I love following the Capitals and Canberra United in particular because I've covered, maybe because I feel like a connection to them because I've um, covered championship wins and whatnot but um, I think there's a real, and we've done interviews for jobs for people coming in and when we get women coming in there is a fear that they get pigeonholed as the women's sports reporter and yes they might love women's sport but they just love sport in general so why can't a female write about the nrl well they can yeah you don't have to write yet it shouldn't be gender specific but what i have noticed is uh, female athletes gravitating potentially a bit more towards female journalists um, because maybe that's their area of passion and they invest a lot of time in it. So, um, but I, I think it's, you should be able to cover everything, every sort of sport and whether, regardless of what gender it is. Um, in terms of how do we capitalize on the Matildas effect, I was a skeptic in terms of, I thought, I thought it would be a flash in the pan, but the hangover of it, I think has shown that it wasn't. How do we make sure it keeps going? Well, I, I see numbers every day and on in terms of what stories people are reading. And um, people often ask why media outlets don't cover women's sport as much as what they do the men's sport. And the simple answer at the moment and the easy out for outlets is because the numbers aren't there. Because there isn't an audience reading all of those. Like if I compare a a Brumbies or a Raiders men's story to a Brumbies or a Raiders women's story or a capital story, the audience numbers are like they're chalk and cheese, but it's a little bit of like chicken or the egg, right? Like if, if you're not writing about it often enough to build up an audience, then how are they going to know to come to you to read it when you write that one story? And um, there were, so um, where the paper won a, an Australian Sports Commission award probably over a decade ago now for our coverage of women's sport. And we were a finalist the year before we won it. And I was really annoyed that we didn't win it because the person who won it, they did a token women's sport page every week in their, whatever their paper was. It wasn't necessarily about um, the competition that these women were playing in. It was about, oh, there's a female playing footy or there's like a, there was whereas we approach our female athlete stories of hey you're in a competition win it we treat them like as equals in terms of our coverage and so that it really annoyed me because it was token versus what we judged as newsworthy um so i think to capitalize on it there needs to be more free-to-air tv exposure for starters more stories about it and more people reading and watching it because that's the only way that like it's it's a vicious cycle and um news outlets more than ever watch those numbers how many people are reading a story how many subscribers there were for that story and if there aren't enough they go well is it worth our time writing it so you really need to like we make a case for like you know we cover all of our sports. We don't watch our numbers, but I know News Limited, for example, you are rewarded by the amount of subscribers you get per story. So 
it's it's like a real interesting dynamic around that but i think it, people need to watch it and engage with it and read with it like i would love to see people who watch the matildas in the world cup go to canberra united game and watch that like i, I yeah they're it's so cheap as well i think you can get memberships for like 40 bucks for a whole season but um i think that's where it has to go the next question asked about a story Chris told earlier in why a sports team would get so upset and feel attacked by the use of the word feud by somebody outside the team when a team prides themselves on being a tight-knit unit. I'm still asking myself that question 12 years later. Um, I don't know. I think because they feel it's an attack on what they're doing. So anything that is negative, negative about their performance or what they've said um, is twisted into you're out to get us. So that that's how that was twisted, but it works in the opposite direction. And I remember the editor called me in and said, what's going on with this? And he said, I'll back you all the way. Like that is a feud in my eyes. Um, so he backed me. So I got resilience out of that knowing that I had support. So I, I really think in, um, you know, we talked about Ricky Stewart a little bit. Like, it's that backs against the wall. Like, this is our team, and if you're trying to breach it, yeah, that's going to strengthen us. And that's, that's you know, that was when the Brummies were at perhaps the lowest point in their history. That um, And those, that, that four-letter word triggered them, and um, I was their target. I became the target. Not, not the other team. It was about proving me wrong and... A follow-up to that was whether Chris thinks teams sometimes look for the siege mentality so that they can use it to bond and have something to focus on. I think so. And do you know what's really interesting? Because the, the two people who got really pissed off about that, I'd spoken to them face-to-face and I had asked them that question and there was no angst or anger or anything. So I, I really think it's a mob mentality around it and... and um, Another example of that is another Brumbies player I wrote about one time uh, was around the time of Jared Hayne trying to go to the NFL. Um, And I said to this Brumbies player, oh, is that something you'd be interested in? You sort of got the body shape to do it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I love the NFL. I'm a Patriots fan, rah, rah, rah. Um, And I was like, okay, I went back to the office and I thought about how I was going to write it and it sort of wasn't sitting comfortably with me. So I called him and I said, hey, I'm going to write the story like this. So I just want to double check that, like, you're comfortable with that and that's what you meant when you said that. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's sweet. Like, that's what I said. Next day I was out of training and all his teammates had given him shit. All his teammates had given him shit for saying something silly in the media and he directed his anger towards me. Even though I'd called him, I'd double-checked, I'd triple-checked, so it's it's a real mob mentality when when people get attacked they look for that outlet is what i've sort of come to realize and um maybe i've got a a bigger target on my chest sometimes so it, but it it does feel really personal when they when they come after you especially when they tell you that they don't want to answer your questions in press conferences and i got one word answers Next, Chris was asked about the values he mentioned earlier, honest, open, and accurate, and whether they were values that he's had from the start or whether he's developed them in the role over the years. Probably a little bit of both. I I feel like I've sort of always been an open and honest person. Um, 
and I, I don't necessarily, well, I, not that I don't necessarily, I don't like conflict. So I would rather chat something out rather than have something linger. Um, so I, I probably brought a little bit of that to the job, but it can be really easy to be disconnected from that early on, which is, I think I went, I went down that path of being disconnected of who I was outside of being a journalist. And, um, I potentially wasn't thinking about who I was writing about, why I was writing about them and what effect it would have on them if I wrote such a thing. And that Raiders player I mentioned earlier who um, still dislikes me for something I wrote several years ago probably um, reinforced that I needed to be open and honest and accurate with things um, because while I still think I was, I think there was probably better ways I could have gone about it by making an extra phone call, by you know chatting to someone else, by maybe wording something a little bit differently. Um, and I, I think uh, there's all different types of journalists. There are like, you know, the ones who will be a little bit sneaky, like, you know, overhear a conversation at a table next to you or, you know, on the team bus or whatever. And, but I, I, I have found that it has served me better to be who I am and that is being um, open and honest and being trustworthy, which is why, uh, you know, I did the Brumbies for so long. I'm sort of out of the day-to-day -day, uh, environment these days, but that's why Benny A felt comfortable talking to me about um, his descent into depression. Um, that's why Pat McCabe felt comfortable talking to me when he announced his retirement because he'd broken his neck for a third time. Um, and Ben Moen, who's a, a former Brumbies captain, who's now back in as, as an assistant coach, why he felt comfortable coming to me to tell me that he was go going to quit when he was a Wallabies captain and moved to France. And I have found, um, even though maybe I'm not the most, well, I'm, I'm definitely not the most cutthroat journalist, and I, I will never write something that I've heard from one person, and maybe that cost me a little bit, being a little bit more thorough. Like I might miss a story or I might be a step behind, but I, like I can go to sleep at night knowing that I've done everything in my power and I haven't just gone off half cop. Yeah, maybe a, um, a little bit more of a slow burn than um, some people, but I'm comfortable with that. Like, you know, I've seen journalists come into our office and go too hard too fast. And, um, and once you, if you step over that line earlier, a former Brumbies chief executive used to have a, he used to have his ice box. And once you're in the ice box, it was hard to get out of the ice box. And if you stepped over too early, it was hard to get out of there because you haven't, my job's about building relationships. I have to be able to build a relationship with someone to have them feel comfortable opening up to me. And if I don't have that, then yeah, I might miss out the story next week, but hopefully it serves me better in in the longer run and, and it's also a word of mouth thing right like you get a reputation of um oh this guy wrote something that i wasn't really happy with um and if you do that too often then you get i've seen um teams treat people like that treat journalists like that i don't want to talk to that guy um but for me i know that i've had uh players stick up for me as well as others trying to cut me down. And the final question asked Chris about whether he's had any mentors and what role they've played. He, so our managing editor now, John Paul Maloney, 
Um, he was a sports reporter when I first started, then a senior sports reporter, deputy sports editor, then chief of staff. He's someone who's always sort of had my back. And um, I think that's important in sort of building this, the self-belief in what you're doing and being able to trust in how you go about things because there's a million ways you can go about being a journalist. Like, you, you know, you don't have to do what I'm doing to be successful. You might follow a different path, but sort of I've always felt like I've had the backing of the masthead, which is the Canberra Times. Like, And um, the editor who uh, called me into his office to chat to me about the feud story, um, that, that really resonated with me. It felt like I had more. I, I wasn't just on my own. I felt like I was supported. And um, I think if I probably didn't feel like I had that support network, then maybe I would have been, geez, how do I go about this? I, I might have lost my way a little bit and, and maybe caved on certain things because sometimes you've got to stand your ground and you've got to be willing to stand your ground. And that can either damage a relationship or build respect in one. Um, and I, I feel lucky that I've had people support me and, you know, uh, also my wife is, um, into sport, which is super helpful because I can go home and talk to her about what's going on. And she loves a, a couple of war stories every now and then. And yeah, you know, she'll always pull me into line, which I hate. Um, cause she'll always sort of say, well, yeah, maybe you did overstep the line on that question or this sort of thing. And She's always right, but um, yeah, so I, I feel like I've, I've definitely had support sort of both in the office and outside the office, and then, you know, people like Ben and Elliot Woods, um, Sam Rolf, like are people in that domain who you can have an open and honest conversation with about, you know, whether, and, and this is where the honesty for me comes into it, if something's going on within the team environment or there's a player who's pissed off with me, I'd rather know about it then sort of let it fester and I'd, so if I can sort it out, I'll sort it out. Sometimes you can't deal with that and move on. Thanks again to Chris for sharing with us at the Midweeker. Being a journalist sounds like a tough gig and so there was lots of opportunities for Chris to share how he has adapted to and overcome many challenges in his career, particularly also around how he has matured as a journalist. If you enjoyed hearing from Chris, why not come along to our next Midweeker? They are a great way to hear inspiring stories from Canberran leaders, learn a bit about Menslink and our great work, and meet old and new friends in a friendly setting. These talks can go in many directions, so come prepared to hear anything. Midweekers, they're open to everyone, men, women, and young people interested in discussing issues affecting young guys in our community. Menslink Midweekers are a free event, and they're held on the second Wednesday of the month at the Statesman Hotel in Curtin. There's no need to RSVP. Just turn up from 6pm with the guest speaker to start from 6.15 and you can grab a feed from the Statesman's Bistro before or after the event. And of course, Men's Link Midweekers are proudly supported by Lennox Volkswagen. A reminder that if you are a young guy who is looking for some support, you know someone who is, or you're a school, head to menslink.org.au to find out more about how we can help. However, if you need help after hours, get in contact with Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit lifeline.org.au. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you in person at a midweeker soon.